Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations, where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. We've got a very special topic today, and with that special topic, a very special guest. I'll get to him in a minute, but before we do, the topic to cover is diabetes research specifically DARP, the Diabetes Australia Research Program, which was established in 1986 and has since supported up-and-coming diabetes researchers. Diabetes Victoria is a long-standing supporter and a major funder of the DARP grants over the years, contributing over $18 million to the past 20 grant funding rounds. The DARP recipients for 2022 have just been announced, which includes 31 projects from Victoria, which we are very proud to announce. One of those is today's podcast guest, Associate Professor John Wentworth. Now, those of you who have been involved with anything to do with Diabetes Victoria or watched Diabetes News, those kinds of things, I'm sure you'll be familiar with John's face or John's name. And it's fair to say you wear a few hats, John. If I was to give you a proper introduction, we'd be here all day. So how about you introduce yourself to the lovely people listening in? Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well, look, I'm a, a diabetes researcher, very passionate about type 1 diabetes. Um, my day job includes uh, clinical care. I'm an endocrinologist and, and diabetes specialist at Royal Melbourne Hospital and a researcher across the corridor at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. And, and there we're sort of working on this concept of immune therapy to turn off the immune attack that causes type 1 diabetes and therefore treat the root cause of the problem rather than mop up after the damage is done and you need to use insulin uh, for the rest of your life. So that's, that's the concept we're working on and, uh, and we're pretty excited, obviously, to have some more funding to power what we think is a really important transformation coming up uh, and, and also uh, very buoyed by recent developments which are, which are pointing uh, to some very promising uh, treatments coming on fairly soon. I'm looking forward to getting into that because I think almost weekly you see something on the news and it's a big breakthrough for diabetes research and nine times out of ten it's the news just trying to get your attention and what they've got isn't as exciting as what it's made out to be. But having had a quick chat to you before we recorded this, uh, John, it sounds like we're actually uh, potentially just around the corner from some exciting stuff. Yeah, I don't want to pretend that it's, you know, it's a simple problem that we're trying to solve and, in fact, you know, this problem we've been cracking away at for more than 30 years. But the exciting thing, and, and the, the exciting thing is I think the tools are, are coming together and the will of the diabetes community and the pharmaceutical industry and the philanthropic community is all coming together to really power the next round of clinical trials that are going to get us to where we need to be so that we can deliver immunotherapy in the clinic to everyone who needs it. Um, so, you know, I guess the... The, 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 the concept here is that uh, you, you need to get onto type 1 diabetes while, it's, while the immune system is attacking you, but while you still feel well. So in other words, you need to screen for the disease and diagnose it early 
while you still have no problems with blood sugar and, and you've got actually no illness, no symptoms, no health problems at all. Uh, because we know that we can pick things up years before you need to use insulin. And that's the critical window where we need to find people to then intervene to turn off the immune attack and to make sure that they can keep making their own insulin so that life continues as normal. Uh, and uh, we, we, are, we are amassing the tools to do that so that the way we, we diagnose diabetes early is we identify antibodies in the blood. And these antibodies are readouts of the immune attack. The antibodies are not causing damage. They're simply reporting the problem to us. And we find them years before people need to use insulin. And uh, very excitingly, a, a couple of years ago, we announced that with TrialNet, we were able to demonstrate that if you come in with immunotherapy at this critical time, you can prevent the need or delay the need to use insulin by more than two years. And that's demonstrating that this is a, this is a valid paradigm, that we can alter the natural history of the disease and that we need to invest a massive amount of effort in screening to identify people at risk and then testing the great number, the myriad of immunotherapies that we have at our disposal to work out uh, which of them is best for which people and, and, and how we can monitor their success and make sure that uh, if we need to retreat, we do it at the right time. Um, so uh, the, the, the real innovation or excitement at the moment is that the tools for screening are getting simpler and cheaper and more accessible. And that's, that's the whole sort of um, point of my latest application for funding. Uh, but the, the future um, is, uh, it's a change in our screening paradigm. Previously, we had to have people go to a pathology collection centre, have a formal blood test, have the blood sample shipped to Melbourne from all through the country, and tested in a standard assay. We are moving very quickly to validating a way of screening where we mail you out a finger pricker and a, and a bit of filter paper. You just do a finger prick at home, dab a bit of blood on a card, put it back in a standard envelope, mail it to me in the lab. I get it a week later and we do the assay and we work out if you're at risk or not. And that is going to make it massively um, scalable much cheaper and much more accessible and convenient for people. And that's that's the great excitement. And if we can pull that off, uh, we're going to drag in a lot of interest in terms of bringing the team together to run the immunotherapy trials to do better than we currently can with this therapy called teplizumab that we talked about a few years ago. So... That to me sounds, and this is you know probably fitting given we've spent the last two years dealing with COVID, it almost sounds like a, a home version of a rat mixed with a PCR where it has to get sent and, and you eventually get your results back. Is, is that probably the easiest way to describe it? Yep, it's a, it's a rat for diabetes and you're right, it, it actually does use PCR technology. It's a very clever assay that, um, that has been developed in the US and that we've, uh, we've gained access to and are in collaboration with uh, the designers and, and builders of that assay. Uh, and 
and yes, I mean it's a bit like rats. I mean, it, COVID has 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 changed a lot of the the medical treatment paradigm, and I think we're sort of benefiting from that as well as people are more open and more attuned to their health and more open to doing things uh, outside of a doctor's clinic uh, to, to to sort out their health. So probably to take it back a step because you hear all this and it does sound incredibly exciting. Um, Probably the first question I want to ask, you said that potentially if we get on top of this early enough and, and start treating, it can potentially delay the need for insulin by up to two years. Are we hopeful that as, as further research is made and, and further steps are made, that that two years could become five, which could eventually become 10 and, and then long term, you know, potentially not at all? Correct. And the great challenge, Jack, is that we don't have a mindset that it's important to diagnose this disease early. And, and that's, um, that's, that, that's got many reasons, but one of the key reasons is the fact that we've used insulin for more than a century now, and it's been a life-saving treatment and a highly effective treatment um, to really make an impact on type 1 diabetes. But as you will know, insulin has its limitations. Um, it's really difficult. Uh, you still have the risk of hypoglycemia. And it's there all the time. You've got to stay on the mission. You can't drop the ball. And so, um, you know, we, we, we want to change the paradigm. The, you know, most of my colleagues are very comfortable using insulin and they're, they're very wary of trying to do something different, particularly when we haven't really got strong runs on the board to say, you know, this is absolutely life-changing. Um, but for us to make the next step, we need to push harder. We need to find people who are at risk, who are going to join these clinical trials and who are going to receive these treatments that we can buy off the shelf. They're used for other conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease. We know what they do. We know what their risks are. We know they're very likely to work, but we simply need to do the clinical trials to demonstrate that. And we cannot do that if we cannot find people at risk. And that's why screening is so important. Uh, and I, I will also add that, um, you know, you might be sitting back and thinking, well, look, this guy just wants to fill his clinical trials and, and, and you know, find all these people and, you know, get, get the job done. You know, what's in it for them? Well, um, there are a few things. I mean, I do agree that it's incredibly disturbing to find out that you're at risk of type 1 diabetes. And it's very disturbing to be told, you know, in five years' time, you've got a 50% chance of needing to inject insulin for the rest of your life. Now, um, on the flip side, obviously, I've said with immunotherapy, then that provides treatment and promise that we can delay the need to use insulin and ultimately obviate that need. But more importantly, um, if you know you're at risk, you can do something about it um, right there and then. Um, for many older people, um, there are actually lifestyle things that make a massive difference. Um, there are, um, you know, similar things driving type 1 diabetes that drive type 2 diabetes, and we certainly find that even very simple changes like cutting out junk food and, and getting more active are very helpful for people. But also, more importantly, a third of kids at the moment end up with critical illness when they're diagnosed. They have ketoacidosis. Um, they're diagnosed. They're really sick. People have been ignoring symptoms that have been brewing for months uh, and, and, and it's really catastrophic when they're diagnosed. Massive shock to the family and they spend a week in hospital, sometimes in intensive care. 
if if we can tell someone, look, there's a risk here, you need to be wary and looking out for symptoms and we need to be checking your glucose every three or six months just to make sure nothing's progressing, then we can actually prevent people needing to go to hospital when they're diagnosed. And that would be massively helpful for the individual. It would save the system a packet of cash and, um, and ultimately, again, find people who have good salvageable pancreas function so who are still making good amounts of insulin who we can offer immunotherapy to to preserve their ability to make insulin, do away without the need to use insulin. So um, that, that's, that's, that's the selling um, strategy around screening. I, I honestly believe it is the right thing to do. I acknowledge that it is incredibly difficult for people who screen positive to take that information on and to work out what to do with it. Uh, but part of what we do is make sure we provide as much support as we possibly can uh, so that this is a, a, a soft landing, if you like, and we can make, um, we've got time to make plans uh, to, to start insulin in a controlled and, and, and very gradual way if we need to. Probably on, on that question, we talked about or you just said it's, it's tough for people to sort of hear that, you know, they're at risk of or, or they're going to get type 1 diabetes and, and something to prepare for. I mean, you know, I myself think about the, the initial time of diagnosis and one of the things about living with diabetes is meeting so many other people who are living with it and you share diagnosis stories and, and all these kinds of things. I mean, that initial, I suppose, week for me where actually being diagnosed, if you could cut out the genuine health issues, we end up in hospital quite unwell. I mean, that would be a win in itself. But um, at the moment, what sort of things do we have to screen for um, versus where we're looking to get to with this diabetes rat, if you will? Yeah, so screening at the moment um, is really ad hoc. And um, it's, you know, you couldn't, if you went up to your general practitioner and said, I want to be screened for type 1 diabetes, most of them would look at you with a blank face and say, I don't know how to do that or, you know, I don't know what that's, that's not, that's a waste of time, you know, haven't heard of that. Um, But you can get involved in the research programs and you can find the occasional practitioners who will be, will understand it and they'll order a test for you. And essentially you can go out there tomorrow and ask your GP, can I get, a test for diabetes antibodies, and it is possible to do that um, through the system. But it's expensive. I mean, it does cost the system in the, in the realm of $100 for you to have the screening test. Uh, and, um, you know, the system doesn't condone it, uh, and that's largely because, you know, we haven't yet got compelling enough evidence to say to government this should be funded. I mean, we know the evidence. We, we know that it should be funded. But it's another step, again, to, to have that evidence to say to government, well, look, you, you can't walk away from this because it's going to save you money and, and, and going to benefit health. Uh, and that's, you know, that's obviously one of the things we've got to do and we're working to do that. Um, so the other way to get screened through the research programs is to um, have, it's only open at the moment, unfortunately, to people with a family history of type 1 diabetes. So that's actually the minority of people who ever get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we have a family screening program in Australia called Type 1 Screen, or all one word. Um, so TYPE, number one, and then screen. Uh, and, and that's operating throughout Australia. And, and currently, Again, you go to a pathology company and you have a blood sample, but that one gets shipped to Melbourne 
where we have the only internationally accredited antibody testing laboratory. And so you get a very high quality test. And that program is the one that I am transitioning to do it yourself in the home. And as I say, this DART grant is there to help us make sure it's accurate. We're doing a validation study where we have a, a number of people who we know are positive and we're just going to do the test on the blood card, have them mail it in and just demonstrate that we can still demonstrate positives and negatives and that the test is accurate. And I'm confident that will be possible, but we want to make sure our test is good um, before we're, we're offering it broadly because the last thing you want is a rubbish test. And, and the rats, again, the, the COVID rat tests are a pretty good example of that. You know, they don't, they're not 100% and they, there's a lot of confusion that comes with them. We want to make sure that we're delivering a a really accurate test so that people can have confidence in what we're doing. So that's how the paradigm is changing uh, for screening. And ultimately, I hope that we can offer this to every single Australian child uh, who wants to have it. And and that's that's the way we're headed. So, and you sort of half took my next question out of my mouth. I mean, I probably had two um, dialed into one again, comparing this to the rat. The first one you spoke about, um, you know, on the wider scale, which is available to every Australian child, which is amazing. Um, you said accessibility, but in terms of cost, uh, what would we potentially be looking at? Would this cost an arm and a leg or, or would this be available to just about every family across Australia? But the second one with the rat, again, using that as an example, even we saw sort of over that Christmas period where things started ramping up in terms of how many people were getting tested. And then you'd see people would get a text after a week or a month where they were saying, sorry, your PCR, the sample has almost, uh, it's been too long since you tested. Uh, We can't do it. We actually don't know whether you're positive or negative. So in terms of uh, how confident you are that the result is right versus having false positives like we've seen with the rat, um, where do we sort of sit with these kinds of things at the moment? Yeah, so... um Firstly, you know, the, the, the test at the moment looks amazing. So something can sit in the post for two weeks and you can still detect a signal. Um, now, what we're, all the, the test is either a positive or negative and the result and the, the, the great challenge for us is where we're going to draw the line because, um, you know, with these diagnostic tests, it's not a beautifully clear-cut positive and negative. There's a grey area where you get results that might be positive, might be negative. And, and that's, that's something that we're going to work out in the next few months is, is where we draw that line and, and what degree of accuracy uh, and, and particularly sensitivity for detecting cases we're going to accept. But as, as I've said, that the initial um, results we're getting suggest to me that we're going to be able to pick up people with very strong antibodies um, we might find about 10% of tests are indeterminate. We won't be able to make a call either way. Uh, and, and then there'll be a bunch of tests. We'll be very confident that they'll be negative as well. Uh, and, that, um, and, and so that, I think, um, is, is, is pretty good, you know, comparing the, the current tests. You've got to understand that, you know, these, um, you know, some of us have diabetes antibodies in our blood that don't mean we've, we're getting type 1 diabetes. Um, you know, they're detectable by the assay, but they don't necessarily mean disease. Um, and I've actually got one of those myself. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's tricky, but you can work out ways to, to deal with that uncertainty. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that's, that's all part of the challenge that we're dealing with. Getting to this cost issue, um, 
you know, the current cost of what we do with the family screening program, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's very high. We, it, it probably costs us about $150 to $200 to screen an individual. Yeah. Uh, and we're not bringing in funding to sort of justify that long term as well. So we need to change to this blood spot methodology. We could probably get it all done for $20 a screen. Um, uh, and, and, and particularly, you know, I guess one of the solutions moving forward uh, at least in the short term before government steps in might be to sort of suggest to people that they might want to cover some or all of the cost of that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, again, um, it's not like COVID. I mean, I don't think we're going to have a massive demand of people rushing to get screened. Um, uh, but, you know, I, 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 I think we've, we've got to work out how we sustainably keep this going. Um, that's, that's something we're working on and, and, and it's, it's it's something we'll solve in the fullness of time. And as I say, um, if we can screen at scale for much less than we're, we're costing the system at the moment or costing you know, the research dollars at the moment, that will invigorate more investment from people wanting to develop immunotherapy. So I think that's the other, um, the, the other niche here or the, the, the other advantage we're going to have. If we can crack this problem of screening accurately at low cost, um, we are going to really turbocharge the whole um, development pipeline for immunotherapy and people will be coming to us wanting saying look can you screen more people find more people at risk and 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 get them into these trials so we can help them with this immunotherapy and just on immunotherapy what exactly does that does that mean it sounds all well and good but in terms of practicality yep. what does it actually mean well so so immunotherapy in a nutshell is something that's turning off the immune attack that's destroying your pancreas. And, and as I say, that happens over years uh, before you need to start injecting insulin in type 1 diabetes. Yeah. What does it mean um, practically? Well, um, there, are, there are tablet forms and there are an inject injection forms or infusion forms of immunotherapy. If we think about rheumatoid arthritis, which is probably the disease paradigm that we're closest to in type 1 diabetes. So rheumatoid arthritis is, is usually a problem of older adults uh, predominantly women, it's a terrible inflammatory joint condition, primarily affecting the hands and feet, but also the other joints in the body. Uh, and you can see it. You, unlike type 1 diabetes, you can see the problem because your joints swell up and they get painful. And the treatments for rheumatoid arthritis generally involve infusions of immunotherapies, including things called anti-TNF agents uh, and um, something called a batacept as well, uh, and, and they're given through a vein or sometimes people have injections they give themselves once a week at home. Um, uh, but more recently, there are tablet versions of that as well. Um, one of those tablets we're um, uniquely trialling um, in diabetes as we speak. Um, that's a tablet called baricitinib. Uh, we, we're going to have initial results from that trial next year and that's going to be really exciting if we can demonstrate a tablet you know, can, can, can do the job. Uh, and that would be a daily tablet. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it's if we can get to that stage where taking a tablet a day uh, and, and we can demonstrate we've turned off the immune attack and we can demonstrate we've preserved pancreas function, I think that's a reasonable alternative to be doing uh, as opposed to waiting for your pancreas to fail and, and needing to take four injections of insulin a day or go on a pump and, and wear a sensor and things like that. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you talk about whether it be an injection on a weekly or we're getting to the stage where it could potentially be a daily tablet. I mean, that's 
for want of a better word, something normal almost, you know. That, that you well, it's almost normal. I mean, you wouldn't, you still want, want to want to put up with the hassle and the potential risk of, of, of dampening your immune system with these therapies. But I think it's a better alternative. And, you know, more importantly, you know, when you look at years down the track of using insulin and, and all the difficulties that can arise, it, it should do away with much or all of that, of those problems. No doubt. Now, to go back probably one step and we talk about the fact you're talking, you know, $20 or less per test for something that, you know, is, is we'll find out nine out of 10 uh, you're estimating will we'll be able to get a reasonably accurate answer. I mean, it does sound too good to be true. Like this is some amazing stuff that, that you're working on. How far away do you estimate this will potentially be? Now, obviously, you can't give us an exact date, but are we talking weeks? Uh, well, are we talking a year? Or how, how far? So, look... Um, Jack, I'm. It's going to depend. We're, we're now just waiting. We we need to get fifty more samples from people who have we know have antibodies collected in the home and mailed into us, and then we've got the sample collection to do our official validation experiment. So, I've got ten of those samples in the freezer at the moment. I'm waiting on another forty, forty-five of those to come in, uh, and that's um. I don't know. That'll take us two, three, four months from now. Uh, and then another month to do the assay, and then we should be right to go. I mean, my time, I, I, my timeline is by July. I want this to be the standard way that we screen. Gee, that um, is seriously close. Uh, and 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 that's, you know, I, 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 like all these things in research, you can never get firm timelines. And of course, you know, if we show that we can't validate it, then we've got problems. But as I say, that, that uh, in the last few weeks, we've we've cracked a few serious challenges with the assay and i am feeling pretty confident that that we'll be able once we get the samples we'll generate some acceptable data that justifies the transition and we desperately need to do this because we we can't you know the research money coming in um is not going to fund what we've been doing uh, and yeah. that's fine you know that's we've got to innovate and 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 this is this is why we're working really hard on this because i think it's it's going to be important for our mission and ultimately, really important for the for the people we're trying to help. I mean, it's seriously important and seriously exciting. Um, and it, it just goes to show the great work being done by so many researchers. You know, yourself included, obviously, but all of those uh, there's so many in Victoria with these DARP grants. Just to go back with the twenty dollars per test, and, and if you use ten percent of people who we don't get a result for, is that based on their specific antibodies and and we'll never really know because of where they're at physically or is that they just might be another $20 test and we might know the second time? Uh, look, I think I, I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, in a lot of these assays, you know, once you screen lots of different people, you'll find, you know, curveballs that just mean it won't work. I mean, some people will have some other junk in their blood that just means the assay doesn't work for whatever reason and we'll probably never really work that out. Um, you, you're right. Um, we would... Um, initially, well, firstly, the way the assay works is these blood spots come into the lab and we actually just take a leather punch and we punch out a three mil disc from that blood spot. So we've got lots of sample left in the freezer after we do the assay. So the first thing we'll do to these grey gray area samples is we'll go back to the freezer and punch out another couple of discs from the blood spot and run it again and see what, see what happens. Um, but again, if we get you know, repeatedly indeterminate results, we just have to say to people, look, I'm sorry, we can't work this out. We could, you could do another blood spot collection in the home and maybe 
you know, maybe that's worth trying. But if you really want to know uh, on the next test, let's just go and get a formal sample and, and spend 200 bucks doing it. Yeah. Almost again, like a rat versus PCR in, in some that's, ways. That's right. That's, that's right. And, and, you know, when you're screening, you've got to do it at scale. It's got to be cheap. It does have to be accurate, um, but it doesn't have to be perfect um, yep. because you're, you're sacrificing economy um, here. You, you want to find something that, that is doable on a large scale. No, absolutely. I want to so – th- like this is seriously exciting. It's great to hear and, and how close it potentially is. I just want to ask about yourself, John. I mean, as I said, it, people are probably familiar with your name or your face, either popping up on the news or at Diabetes Victoria type of things. And um, I'll get you to, I guess – give a credit or a shout-out to anyone you want to thank in a sec, but your work with type 1 diabetes, um, you know, doing so much research and uh, work in the area, did you fall into diabetes or were you always passionate about diabetes itself? And if so, why? So, Jack, I guess I am very much a product of circumstance. I think the thing that has driven me to, or taken me to where I am is, is just this incessant um, longing to do something uh, more than just medicine, I guess, uh, and and a really real interest in trying to understand how research happens and 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 what what it's like and 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 what you can do with it. Uh, and I've been very lucky. I mean, I've 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 along the way I've met some really good people doing good stuff who've been very supportive of. of what I've been trying to do as well and, and sort of understood where where I've tried to head. So, I mean, it's, you know, to give you an example, when I came out of medical school, I had really no idea what I wanted to do and I actually spent some time working in far western Queensland and, um, you know, was quite interested in bush medicine, quite interested in a surgical career, lots of things were of interest. Um uh, but um, I had an opportunity to go and do some research early on. It was a really positive experience. Um, I, I, I guess I had um, a real interest in deep science and, and, and had the opportunity to do that early on. And then when I came back to do my formal training in diabetes and endocrinology, I was lucky to then be able to continue that uh, and to, to keep a foot in both the clinical and, and the research camps. Um, and some very influential people uh, along the way have been part of that journey. Um, you know, I'll put a shout out to Don Cameron uh, way back uh, in Brisbane uh, when I sort of was a, a, a you know, very young um, doctor who really helped me find um, a research footing uh, in, in England. Chris Chatterjee, uh, a, a really brilliant um, clinician scientist based in Cambridge, and then back in, um, in, in Sydney, there's a, a guy called Rory Clifton Bly uh, and uh, in Melbourne, Len Harrison, Peter Coleman, uh, to name just a few uh, who've, who've been incredibly influential in, in how I've ended up where I've ended up. I guess, um, you know, the thing that gets me out of bed every morning and the thing that keeps me going despite, you know, quite a few challenges in terms of finding funding and, and, and justifying how I'm spending it and, and how I should be given more. Uh, the thing that keeps me going is the fact that it's incredibly interesting and I sincerely believe that it is, um, it's ultimately working towards making a big positive difference to people and, and I feel very privileged to, be, to have that opportunity to have a go at that. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I do it because I love it and, and, and I would prefer to be doing this rather than anything else. Uh, I have many options in medicine but this is 
what I love doing, uh, and and I feel very fortunate to be able to do that, um, particularly given all the sorts of challenges that are flying around at the moment. Well, John, I'm privileged to have you on our side working for us. I mean, it's been great to listen to these seriously exciting developments and, and things you're researching, and not just you, as I said, the, the other 31 Victorian DART recipients in 2022. I mean, this just goes to show the amazing things that uh, with some funding and, and with a bit of help we could potentially be working towards. I mean, as you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet you across along the line at, at certain diabetes Victoria functions and, and these kinds of things. I mean, it's fascinating to talk to you, and I look forward to doing so again. I mean, I just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. And again, not just you, but so many other people working on, on diabetes in various different ways and shapes. And I think uh, I hate speaking on behalf of people, but uh, not only thanking you from myself, but on behalf of anyone uh, sort of either living with diabetes or affected by diabetes for the work you're doing. I think it's great. Um, this would be a seriously awesome thing to get up and going, particularly if, you know, we're talking by the middle of this year, or even the end of this year. I mean, cheap, accessible, uh, accurate. I mean, as I said, it sounds too good to be true. Uh, John, I, I will again leave it with you. If there is anyone else you want to thank uh, or, or whatever it is, but I really appreciate your time speaking to us on the Diabetes Victoria podcast. No, thanks, Jack. I mean, I will put a shout out. I mean, I think we're very lucky in Victoria to have, you know, really strong research infrastructure and it's why I've sort of gradually moved south down the east coast um, to, to end up where I am and and you know diabetes Victoria needs again a round of applause here as as a really critical prominent um, you know uh, diabetes um, support group and 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 resource uh, it's it's a fantastic operation um, it, it's doing a great job for people with diabetes both type 1 and type 2. Uh, and, and yes, I've got to say, um, you know, it's, it's really one of the powerhouses behind finding the funding for these DART grants and, and, and injecting it into projects like mine, which are really trying to help um, people with diabetes and, 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 and deliver the next innovation. So, and thanks. It's been great to talk to you. And, and you know, I really appreciate uh, people tuning in and, and listening to what we're doing and taking an, an interest in that. No, as I said, mate, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, I'm sure people have loved listening in, particularly with the exciting things. Congratulations on the DARP grant. Uh, wish you all the very best with your research. And once again, Associate Professor John Wentworth, thank you for speaking to us on the Diabetes Victoria podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website diabetesvic.org.au